It's good to be here today to be able to come and worship God in spirit and in truth on the Lord's day, to remember our Savior and all that He's done for us. And as we gather here today, this should be the time in our life that we draw closest to God. And that should be our purpose in being here today, to pray and worship the Creator and the Giver of life and the One who promises us eternal life. I want to say just a, a couple of things before we start about the subject of the morning. I'm going to speak on modesty this morning, and I'm going to warn you that I'm going to get pretty plain. This is something that the elders have discussed for a while. I think one of the last elders and deacons meetings that we had, this subject came up, and we thought it was about time to approach this subject again. It's been preached on before. I don't want anyone to feel like they're being targeted. I don't want you to go away today after this sermon pointing the finger at somebody else. This is not an indictment of anybody, but it's a reminder. Peter said, I want to write and stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I think we might talk about some things today some people really don't know. And how can we operate unless we have the knowledge that we, that we need? You know, we live in a rapidly changing world. And we have several sermons lately about drifting and the direction that our country's drifting in. Churches are drifting. They're drifting in their doctrines and their practices. I think the elders here have done a pretty good job of holding us in line where it needs to be done. But I think that there's a few areas that, if we're honest, that we may be lacking some in. And so we need to be reminded. You know, one of our worst nightmares as elders is for one soul to be lost because we didn't sound the warning. Our job is to try to help every person in this building get from this earth to heaven. That's what God has entrusted us with, and we feel that responsibility very strongly. As I mentioned, we've talked about this discussion, or about this subject. I'm going to tell you about an incident that happened not very long ago in this community. I was in a business place. A guy asked me a Bible question. I went over and sat down, and, and we began to talk about the Bible, and another individual became involved in that conversation. You know, when you talk about things, about religion, usually there's some differences of opinion on that. And if we talk about things that we feel strongly about, that someone disagrees with, they're going to feel real free to talk to us about things that they disagree with us about. 
And this very subject came up in that discussion. And this man began to push me very hard on the subject of modesty and about what he perceived is our lack of modesty here at Northwest. And I tried to reason with him, but it seemed like the more I tried to reason with him, the louder he got, and pretty soon everybody in the room knew what was going on. And he let me know that he didn't think I was doing my job and that I wasn't standing up on this subject. And I can tell you, I kind of took a whoop in there because I couldn't completely disagree with him. And I'm not going to tell somebody they're wrong if they're right. In all fairness, I want you to know he came the next morning and apologized to me. I saw him this week in the community. He said, I want us to be friends, and I said, I do too. But that really pushed that to the forefront in my mind, is how are we perceived in the community? The Bible says we're to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Do you think it's a good thing for one of your leaders to be tongue-tied, embarrassed in the community? <clears throat> I want to turn to 1 Peter, the third chapter, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to refer to this verse several times this morning. There's not a whole lot of scriptures on this, but there are some. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also without the word may be won by the uh, conversation or your manner of life. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. In this particular case, Peter's talking about, I believe, a woman married to an unbeliever. And he says, let them be won by the life that you live. And he specifically says, don't let it be your outwardness that you appeal to your husband, but let it be that hidden man of the heart. You know, that's one of the big differences in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the Old Testament dealt with just cold, hard facts a lot. Jesus talked about the heart. And I really believe what we're talking about this morning is a heart issue. Hollywood, with their producers and their actors and their actresses, is spending millions to influence society. There's nobody that's more ungodly 
more anti-Bible, more anti-Christian than Hollywood. They set the fashion for our country. California and New York have major sway over this country through Hollywood and politics. They're the most liberal states in the USA. You know, we're warned, let no man take thy crown. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about the ministers of Satan. And I've mentioned that from this pulpit before. Who are the ministers of Satan? You know, we say we preach the gospel, which means good news. Who are the ministers of Satan? They're preaching the good news of ungodliness, of fornication, of adultery, of thievery. That's what they're promoting in their writings. That's what they're promoting in the movies. That's what they want this world to be, is a place like that, and they think it will be great. That's not who we've been for 200 years. But we're fast moving in that direction. And everybody in this room knows that. Is that who we want to set our fashion and pattern our lives after? The word fashion means to mold. We read in the Old Testament that these artisans fashioned idols. What does that mean? They shaped them. That's what fashion is. Man, we've got fashion magazines more than we know what to do with. And what is their purpose? To mold how we dress. That's their purpose. Who do you believe is influencing those editors of those periodicals? Is it God or is it Satan? Is that where we need to go to find out how we as Christians ought to be living? If you will, go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. In verse number 9, the apostle said, In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. You know, I believe this is an assembly passage, and so some of our emphasis this morning is going to be on the way that we conduct ourselves in the assembly. There's no other place that I know that God has told women to be silent except in the assembly. And right here in this same context, He talks about women adorning themselves in modest, apparel, moderate apparel. 
You know, we know the difference in modest and risque or daring or many other terms that we could mention this morning. And he says, when we come to the house of the Lord, that the women need to adorn themselves in modest apparel. Being sober. If Jesus came into our assemblies, would we want to dress any differently as we review these scriptures? You know, even though he mentions the women there, well, let me get to that point next. Let's go to Genesis, the first chapter. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26. We're speaking of the, or God's speaking of the creation here, and He says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and so forth. The point I want, He wanted to make man in His own image. Well, God doesn't have a body. So when He talked about creating man in His own image, He's talking about creating him in righteousness. To be like God. Ecclesiastes 7 and 29 says that God made man upright. That means righteous. And that's the way God created us. Male and female created He them. In verse number 31 it says, God saw everything that He had made and behold it was very good. Biologically male and female is different. He created us uniquely. Males are important. Females are important. We wouldn't have families. We wouldn't have babies if we didn't have males and females. They're both important. And that's the way God created us. And He wanted us to live a holy life. Now in Genesis 2 and verse number 25, the Scripture says they were both naked and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Nobody else around. They probably had discovered that there was something different about them, but I don't know what they knew about that, or didn't know. Hebrews 13 and verse number 4 says that marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. But adulterers and whoremongers, God will judge. So what is this verse saying to us? The marriage bed is undefiled. There's nothing sinful about being a female. There's nothing sinful about being a male. There's nothing sinful about being married to a person of the opposite sex. The marriage bed is not sinful. It's undefiled. And we need to be teaching our children that. You know, there's people that get married that have a lot of hang-ups they really shouldn't have. 
Because sometimes people act like what goes on between a husband and a wife is ugly in some way. And it's not. God created us that way. So that we would have families. Two people being naked together outside of marriage is very wrong and very sinful. And Paul said in Ephesians 5 and verse number 3, he talked about adultery and he talked about fornication and he said, let it not be named among you even once. Once is once too many. What leads people to that? Movies, books, fashion, a whole lot of things. That we're being fed a steady diet of. You know, we got a lot of stuff that's piped right into our homes like a hotline. It's called cable. It's called Facebook. It's called TV. It's called computers. We're bombarded constantly with this message of Satan. And how wonderful... That is. Your body is not sinful of itself. The way we conduct ourselves is what determines that. And you know what happened? Adam and Eve figured out something. They were different. And so they decided they needed to do something, and so they decided to get these fig leaves and sew them together to hide their nakedness. That was their attempt to deal with nakedness. You know that word that's used there is apron. I looked that up. It's translated in the Bible apron once. It's translated armor once. It's translated girdle four times. So I think we get the idea what it's talking about. It's something to cover your midsection. And they thought that was sufficient. And God says, you've got to be kidding me. That's not enough. There's too much skin showing. What was God's answer to their nakedness? He took animal skins and covered them. You know what? Animal skins are not sheer, see-through, are they? And if the girdle wasn't enough, they needed more than that. Now, what if everybody came in here this morning and all they had on was a girdle? Why? We'd be embarrassed. People would say, that's not right. We'd be headed for the cars. Get out of here. You see, God looks at this a little different to what man does. God said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, for as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And God thought they needed to be covered up. (laughs) 
That was God's solution. The Bible says that God clothed them. Let me tell you how that word's used in some other places in Scripture. As the grass covers the field. Can't see the ground, can you? My flesh is clothed with worms, talking about the body after death. It's covered. The pastures were clothed with sheep, covered the ground, thousands of them. Can we see what that's talking about? God made coats of skins and clothed them. So, as I mentioned a while ago, when it talks about modest apparel, I believe it includes men also. I don't think he said women have got to dress modestly, but men don't. But he addressed it to the women. And if you stop and think about it, that makes sin. Who's, sense, who's the most concerned about clothing? Usually the women, isn't it? And so it's something to be concerned about. If I came here this morning and I sat down back there and I didn't have my shirt on, every eye in this building would be on me, wouldn't it? And why would that be? Every eye would be on me. That's the effect of skin. People say, what is going on? You can't do that. And they'd be right. They would be offended. They would be upset. They'd be alarmed. After Paul had talked about modest apparel in the assembly... On down he says, But that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And so he was writing about things that would teach us proper behavior in our lives, and particularly here in the house of God. Our behavior in the house of God needs to be different from the world. One of the most popular fashions of the day is boys wearing their pants about halfway down their hips. What if I came in here like that this morning? People would be disturbed, and they should be. You know, when my wife substitutes at the high school, she gets absolutely upset about that. It would be more upsetting here, wouldn't it? What's the problem? Too much skin showing. And that's not all. Cleavage. Cleavage. A valley. 
And we know what that is. And we don't need to be seeing that. That's private. Girls, does that bother you when you see that at school? Are you offended by that? Grandmas, are you offended by that? Do you talk to your girls about it? Mamas, does that offend you? I hope so. I hope so. It's inappropriate. It's inappropriate at school. It's inappropriate here. If we started encouraging our young men to dress that way on Sunday morning, do you think it would help you in your worship to be closer to God? You know, usually on a Sunday morning, an individual comes up here and stands before this table and says, Now we need to bring our minds in from the world. If that was going on out here, would that help us bring our minds in from the world? Mamas, do you let your boys dress that way? I hope not. You know, I almost quit one of the banks here in town. And the reason that I almost did, they changed, so I didn't, is their, their tellers got to wearing their tops very open. And you go in there and you want to get a little money. I always deposit money at the first of the month and I get some cash money to put in my billfold to take care of my daily expenses. They'll ask me how much I want. I'll tell them. And they count it out. 20, 40, 60, 80. And you know, they're about that far from me. And I'm right here. And so what's right in front of me? I can tell you that when women have open tops and you're doing business right there, and I do want to know if they get my money right, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And it really makes me uncomfortable. But you know if they're dressed appropriately, I can... No problem. No problem at all. And so I want to encourage our ladies to think about the way they come to the house of the Lord. And about the effect that it has on our young men. I really appreciate these tellers that wait on me now. Because there's no problem to keep your mind in the right place. 
Some of our young men have expressed concern that when they're called on to pass communion on Sunday morning, they're standing up. Ladies are sitting down. And they go to hand that tray. And that lady's there. And she's going to take it right here. And he's been very careful not to spill that. And so he's watching that tray. What does he see? Depends on how you're dressed. We've told people they need to bring their minds in from the world and focus on communion. There's some things you can't unsee. So I hope this will help us think about the clothes that we're going to wear in the house of the Lord. You know, when a young man asks an elder about this, let's just say he asked me about that. What do you think I ought to tell him? Listen, if you got some suggestions, I'm open. I'm open. Choices have consequences. And when we choose our clothing, it's going to have an effect on other people, and we just need to be mindful of that. Young men, when you go down the aisle and you're passing out that communion, and you look like you've been poured in that shirt, it's so tight, and those pants are so tight they look like the skin, you think that affects anybody? That affects young ladies just like the other affects you. God made us that way. It's not wrong, we just don't need to be parading it. Is that modest? If one of your elders, I know I'm getting plain this morning. I don't usually like to preach sermons like this, but I think we need to be reminded from time to time. When one of your elders is embarrassed publicly, is that a good thing for the church? Is that the church being a light in the community and the salt of the earth? I want to offer a few uh, practical suggestions. Jesus said, I do always those things that please the Father. And I'm talking to men and women. When you pick out your wardrobe to come to church, do you think about that? Is this going to be pleasing to God? Can I pray to God and thank Him for these clothes that He's given me to wear to church this morning? Have you searched the Scriptures as Jesus taught us on this subject? 
How does my dress affect the other sex? Does it embarrass them? Does it make them feel uncomfortable? Does it help them keep their mind in the right place? Is your conscience clear? Paul taught us to always have a conscience clear of offense toward God and man. Am I interested in the other members of the church? Am I interested in the young men and them going to heaven and being taught right? Am I interested in the young ladies and helping them? I hope we all are. I hope we're a family. I hope these things are important to every person here this morning. But you know then sometimes people are just so proud of their body they take selfies and they put it on the internet and then the whole world knows. The whole world knows. And we just show more and more. Is that being the salt of the earth and giving us a good reputation in the community and we go knock on somebody's door, which we're going to be doing here shortly, and inviting them to come to services? What do they think? God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Is that the way they think of us? The Bible says to live holy and righteously and godly in this present world. Is that the way they think of us? I hope so. But obviously not all the time they don't. I hope to create some communication. Not of criticism one for another. That won't help anything. You may want to visit further on this subject. I hope your families will talk about this at home. Sometimes, I'm sure that women may not be real comfortable discussing this with men and vice versa. And I'm not sure there needs to always be a lot of conversation that way, but... But there does need to be conversation. In Titus, we read that the older women are to teach the younger women. And if you want to discuss this with an older woman, maybe an elder's wife, or just maybe somebody you feel comfortable with, go talk to them and say, let's open up the Bible and, and let's look at this further. You can do that. You may have even more questions. You may say, well, I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to an elder. Listen, we're available. There'll be a couple of elders be glad to come into your home and visit with you. You pick them. Who are you comfortable with? Who would you feel that you could open up and talk about this? 
Let us know. We'll come. We'll set an appointment at a convenient time for you. Those are just some practical suggestions. As I have said, I believe that this whole thing really is a heart issue. Nobody can be neutral on the Word of God. Nobody. Listen, I talk to people every day. Nobody can be neutral on the Word of God. And so I'm going to ask you a question this morning, not for you to answer me, but I want you to answer it for yourself. When I talked about these scriptures and about things that are going on, how did that affect you inside? Does it make you angry? Does it upset you? Do you wish I wouldn't say that? Or do you say, I'm glad our elders care enough to tell us the truth? You're not neutral. You, ever, you either receive this word with gladness or you want to stop your ears, but there's not something in the middle. And so you need to answer that for yourself, each person. As I said, we don't need a lot of finger pointing. The Scripture says, Out of the heart perceiveth evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. A man out of the good treasure of his heart will bring forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart will bring forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. What will we say if we talk about this lesson? We liked it? Or we didn't like it? Now, I'm not saying I'm infallible and I couldn't have made a mistake or I might have misrepresented some scripture this morning. If I did that, come and tell me. And we'll talk about it. I won't be offended by that. I want to preach the truth. I wasn't offended at the young man that jumped on me in the community. You know why? I appreciated he had the guts to bring it up. Most people wouldn't. The Bible talks about having eyes full of adultery. What does that mean, having eyes full of adultery? That cannot cease from sinning. There's people in this world whose mind is in the gutter 20 hours a day. Is that who you want dating your daughter? Is that who you want dating your daughter? You 
You know, I've, I've been around a lot of men in 70 years. And I've never, no matter how crude he might be, heard a man say, I wish I had a man like that to date my daughter. That's not what they want. There's a great difference between love and lust. Love is motivated by compassion for the other person. And lust is motivated, I want to have my way. And there's a huge difference. The Bible talks about the attire of a harlot. What does that mean? Well, I think that's pretty generic, but I think we all have an idea of what it means. It's someone that dresses in a way to draw attention to themselves. They want people to look at them. And they want them to want them. That's the reason they dress that way. When we dress, male or female, is it because I'm going to go, hey man, I want you to look at how handsome I am. <laughs> I'm a dude. You know? I'm telling you, if you're dressing to impress the baser instincts of people, you're dressing for the wrong reason. And you may get more than you bargained for. Because I'm telling you, these people with baser instincts, they have no compassion. That's why we see these people being hauled off to Mexico and all over the world right now, and it's in the news every day. Because we got vans patrolling the United States looking for pretty girls. You know, girls, when you go to look for a mate, you need to look for a man that loves you for what you are, and you need to be a Christian with Christian values because that's what he needs to. And if you marry a man like that, maybe you'll be like me. I got a woman back there that loves me and has loved me for 50 years and puts up with me and doesn't look elsewhere. And that's what you need for a mate. That's what you need for a mate. There's nothing more beautiful than a neatly dressed godly woman. Men, you need to tell your wives that. 
I mean, you need to tell them today. There's nothing more handsome than a neatly dressed man. Wives, you need to tell your husband if that's the way you feel. There's no, nothing more beautiful than a loving, godly Christian couple. Nothing. There's nothing in this world sweeter than that. And that's what we ought to want for every child in this building. And we need to be doing all that we can to get that for them. And we need to be raising our children to stand on godly principles so that that's what they can follow in their home. We want everybody to have a happy, peaceful life. I leave the lesson with you this morning. And I hope that it will be taken in the spirit that it's given in love. And I hope that you will communicate with people in this area. Because these are things we need to talk about. The world's attacking our homes in every way. If you're here this morning and you have a need in your life, whatever it might be, Jesus can fix it. He wants to fix it. You haven't committed a sin that He can't forgive. You haven't committed a sin He doesn't want to forgive if you'll come to Him as we stand and sing.